You're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Hi, welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Aurélien Mottier, and I'm here today with Adam Stein, principal at APS Marketing. How are you doing today, Adam? Very good, Ray. Thank you very much for asking, and excited to be here with you today. It's a pleasure to have you. So can you please introduce yourself to our audience and tell them a little bit more about your company, APS Marketing? Thank you, Ray. I'd be happy to do so. My company, APS Marketing, does product marketing as a service. And we offer that because in 20 plus years of doing enterprise marketing for startups and large companies, it's a gap that's out there. And a lot of, a lot of people don't realize the the need for product marketing. So I focus product marketing as a service primarily on mobile, networking, security, enterprise software, and MarTech markets. Okay, that's wonderful. That's quite a, a comprehensive service offering. Now, getting into the topic, as a product marketer, I believe that you, you probably often come across both large and smaller organizations that are struggling with their messaging, their content, their go-to-market strategy and also how to position themselves versus competition. And from previous conversation we've had, we've agreed that one of the critical questions that those companies should ask themselves before you know, getting to market is actually what problems are we solving? So could you please comment on the importance of this question and why some companies do actually struggle to find answers to it? Yeah, I think it comes down to what marketers would call the buyer's journey. And when you're doing sales and marketing, a lot of sales and marketing teams are focusing on technology. They're focusing on the bits, the bytes, how the technology works, why the technology is quote unquote different than somebody else's technology, why it's a bigger bread box or a different bread box. And they shouldn't be doing that. They should be focusing on the buyer's need and the buyer's problem. And that's really the gist of what problem are you solving? You need to be solving a specific problem in the buyer's mind and you need to market accordingly around that. Okay. So 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 when we talk about the problem of let's say you are a startup and you've got a couple of very good technical co-founder people who believe that they've got a product that solves some technical issues. Would you just look at the technical issues that you are solving? Would you look at the business issues that you are solving? What would you suggest the best place to start? Because there is always the technical argument versus the business argument. That's right. That's right. I'll give you a good example. I think it's best best uh, shared with an example. I have an e-discovery and compliance software client. Think of it as a DBR, our digital video recording, for all the content that a company may put on a website. So the reason that e-discovery and compliance is important is content that was put on a website may not be appropriate or relevant are permissible, and the website can change, and you've got no recording of it. So if you're in the government industry or regulated industry, you need a way to actually document what was live on a particular website and what wasn't live. So the problem they were solving is they were a relatively new entrance to the market. It's not a hugely established market e-discovering compliance, but this client wanted to be able to differentiate vis-a-vis the competition who had all kinds of public uh, available content and publicly available videos on their sites. And so they hired my firm to do competitive analysis, what they were doing versus the others were doing, and then 
publish the competitive analysis publicly. And so they did that. We, we built a competitive analysis table and we published it. And the reason that was very impactful from a marketing standpoint is it didn't just cover the technical differences. It covered the problems that the particular software was solving. It was covering compliance vis-a-vis the competition. So it was very clear from the competitive differentiation what was being done with product A. I don't want to name the company. Uh, okay. Product A versus product B. And they chose to publish that, and it's been a huge uh, demand and, and uh, competitive product for their sales teams today. It's been up there more, more than nine months, and they've continued to use it. So ba- basically, I guess the real answer to the question is, is probably that you would need, for, for different level of persona you, you, will, you would engage with as part of the sales process or the marketing process, you almost need to answer that, that question or try to answer that question for every function or every type of individual that you will be trying to sell to or to market to? Yeah, I think, I think what marketers and salespeople refer to as personas. So when you're selling to different personas, whether it's the technical persona, the executive persona, the business persona, you have to be able to basically appeal to the different personas with the content. And the, the whole idea here, the discovery compliance analysis is you have content in that analysis, in this example that I'm sharing with you, that has a technical bent to it, it has a business bent to it, and it has a very clear competitive bent to it. So if you're comparing the products, which everybody does, everybody goes to a website before they buy a product, you have that physical content that you can look at to help you understand one product versus another that from that company's point of view. And I guess this is this is how we see the buyer journey evolving as well. People doing their own research online, looking at reviews, looking at comp- com- competitive tables, or tr- trying to assess basically what's the they want to boil done. They want so if you if you do the job for them, you actually save their time in in lots of research, and and that's probably something that the the, the prospect would would really like. So that that makes perfect sense. Another discussion that we've had before is that many companies actually make their, their sales and marketing strategy overly complex. And as we discuss, often a, a simple or simpler solution, outlining a clear business technical problem or a solution would work best. So can you please comment on why simplicity is often better than complexity in sales and marketing? It's a really good question, Ray. I think one of the things that the sales and buy and uh, the marketing teams need to embrace is simplicity because they need to be able to scale that, that go-to-market and the content plan the way they have it. And it isn't just the sales and marketing team that are involved in the product. As you and I both know, it's kind of a multi-threaded hydra in that the channel teams and the partners who sell a technology or product need to have content that they can embrace and extend a sales effort with. So if you're working with a large telco or you're working with a multinational distributor, you need to have a way to get content to those sellers and still have the you know, essence of the DNA that the marketing and the salespeople use to put it together carry water throughout the whole process, throughout all the different regions, throughout all the different selling situations. And if you have it overly complex, that tends to get lost. But if you make it simple, it 
carries a lot longer. It has a lot better legs to sure. carry, even in even in different languages. I've got a bit of, I guess, a, a disruptive question to ask you because I don't want to upset anyone, but we, we, we often get given by our clients some very large white papers. And when I'm saying very large, I'm talking in, in volume of words, number of pages. We're probably talking sometimes, we, we probably went up to 30, 40 pages of white papers. And that was pretty technical. And, and, and I guess, in a way, in most cases, quite difficult to digest. What would be your opinion on that sort of pieces of content? Do you, do you think that actually helps? Because that, that kind of go against the, the principle of simplicity. It, it flies in the face of simplicity. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't really, say yeah. it goes against simplicity. I'd say it flies in the face of simplicity. And you bring up a good point. I think before the internet and before there was, you know, a lot of research that was readily available and competitive analysis and third-party content, you know, people at the uh, technology standpoint, like back in the day, I worked at Cisco early on in the 90s when they were, you know, routing was a big deal. People were just starting to talk about routing. Cisco had published 30 or 40 page white papers about OSPF or, you know, RIP V2 or any kind of networking protocol that was coming out. And that was great back then because the internet didn't have a lot of electronic content. It was just starting. Nowadays, I think that there are very few use cases that you'd really want to, as a marketer, put together a 30, 40 page white paper. Yes, there are some technical buyers who want excruciating detail, but I think they'd more want it in a demo yeah. and a proof of concept than they would in a white paper. And with the internet being the way it is and products being the way they are, whether they're virtual products or SaaS products, you can get those detailed demos rather than writing a paper, which is going to quickly become outdated in a couple of months. Absolutely, and is there um, is there a medium that you would you would suggest? Or you know, I mean, we, we see lots of people. Well, clearly, we're doing a podcast right now, so that's a medium to engage with with a community or to engage with people. We see some of our clients using video. Obviously, you've got websites. What do you think? I don't know if there is a straight answer to that, but is there a medium that you believe is a is the best way to convey the essence of a value proposition, the essence of what the solution does? Or is it just something that people should 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 basically make a decision on based on their based on their preference? Yeah, it actually gets back to a point you made earlier and an excellent point about personas, right? If you're a technical buyer, more often than not, you're going to want a video or a technical um, deep dive. Okay. If you're a business buyer, you may just want a first meeting and some initial content about the topic. And maybe it's a video, maybe it's just a, a website. Maybe you want a podcast like we're talking about now. If you're a MarTech buyer, you know, a podcast might be the way to go too. So there's not one right answer, but it, as a marketer and sales expert, you really have to think about what kind of the blend is for the different personas that you're selling to. So if you're a, you know, enterprise software buyer or seller rather, you're going to do a mix of website and podcast and videos. Okay, so it's about it's about having the the right mix in place. So that makes that makes perfect sense. Um, Adam, uh, we we also know that uh, one of your specialties is is building go to market programs, um, and 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 relevant content with 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 focus on revenue driven goals. So, and it's again maybe a bit of a wide open question this one, but what does the perfect go to market plan look like? That's a really good question. I don't know if there's a perfect go-to-market plan, but I think a workable, a workable go-to-market plan is actionable. And it's 
somewhat closed loop in that you have the marketing and sales team very well aligned from the beginning. You've drawn up a blueprint that the marketing and sales team both agree to, and you're building content, which the sales and marketing teams are, you know, getting together with and kind of orchestrating. They're building a concert around it. You've got yep. the instruments, you've got the notes, you've got the audience. They're putting that together. And so that perfect go-to-market plan, to answer your question, I think has a blend of the right content, the right sales plays, some structure without being too overly bearing structure. In other words, it's flexible that it can change and it's recordable. In other words, there are analytics behind it because I think nowadays, and we haven't talked about this yet, but I know you and I have talked about this uh, on behalf of some of the clients we work on together. Mm -hmm. You need to have actionable analytics. They need to show what's happening with your go-to-market plan because that's that's the reality of today's marketing and sales efforts. They need to have the analytics to show that there's, you know, successful work happening and if something needs to change, then you work on it together and figure out a way to change it. Um, yeah, I completely agree with you. You're right with that conversation a few times, which is quite interesting because you're getting straight to my next question. You're reading my mind here, which is really around the KPI. So if I was to, to be at the building stage, the, the foundation of, of building my my perfect go-to-market plan, what KPI should I have in mind? And, and to your point, what KPI should I monitor moving forward to show the progress in, in rolling out that marketing plan successfully? Yeah, an, an excellent question, Ray. So I was very fortunate in my career and the last startup, the last true startup that I worked with full-time as our VP of marketing was in the mobile space and mobile security. And the same VC that put me into that firm also invested in one of the top marketing automation platforms when it first came out. So I had a kind of a ground floor look at putting marketing automation into use in the sales play. And so the, the gentleman that was one of the founders of that company took me aside and shared some of his, you know, cookbook secret ingredients of putting together that company, which again, that was a huge benefit to me and I'm humbled by the ability to gain access to that. His name was John. And John really, you know, shared with me what was happening in, you know, a KPI, an ideal KPI waterfall. And he helped me put together a waterfall showing me and showing their marketing and sales team at this particular startup how to put together the, the go-to-market plan, which included things like, okay, how many leads do you need to get to how much revenue? What's the opportunity turnaround timeframe? Is your opportunity timeframe accelerating, decelerating? What are the types of programs, the organic or paid, that are really driving some of the opportunities? How fast is it driving the opportunities? What regions are driving the opportunities and what programs? And putting that all together and having it be not automated completely, that's kind of a nirvana of a marketing dream, uh, but really showing you what would the accelerants for a go-to-market plan and being able to focus on the metrics of what the plan is actually delivering today, tomorrow, yeah. and you know six months from now. Okay, that makes sense. And what is the involvement of sales? Do, do, would you get sales involved at any point? I mean, at some point, they will have to help you in the execution, I believe, but... How would you recommend to, 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 to the marketers that are listening to us to, to involve 
their sales team in, in that go-to-market plan? I think that sales and marketing are intertwined here. And I think that's one of the key things of the playbook, the whole sales playbook that when my teams have been really, really successful at the startup level or even the larger company level, they have really embraced the sales team and gotten the sales team involved almost from day one to make sure that, you know, marketing may come up with a plan. That's all well and good, but really getting sales buy-in on the plan so that the sales are the you know, the executors of that plan, the sales become extension of the marketing team and marketing becomes extension of the sales team, right? There are definitely two sides to the coin and you need the entire coin in order to be successful from a go-to-market standpoint. So I'll give you an example. One of the programs that we're running today for one of my clients focuses on qualified sales opportunities. Okay. So the opportunities that we're getting from this provider are further down the funnel. They're basically people who are buying a particular enterprise networking product who have been pre-qualified. Well, that's all well and good for marketing, and I think that's great, but the sales team needs to engage with those, whether it's the actual regional sales team or the sales development team. They need to engage with those, and guess what? Those people don't know who that company is. They just know the category of what they're buying. So the sales team needs to buy in that, hey, these are leads and opportunities that we're interested in acquiring. And the marketing team needs to provide a script for the sales team to go engage with those people to get them over the transom into a first meeting, into the buyer's funnel, so they understand what the you know, unique value proposition is of the particular company. Because all those you know, opportunities know is, hey, I'm interested in buying this particular category of software. But beyond that, they know nothing. Yeah, uh, uh, we can relate to that. So that, that again, uh, uh, another comment that, that makes sense to us. So, well, I would like to thank you for all the insights that you you you, you shared with us today, Adam. It's, it's it's great that, you know, you 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 could take part of the show. And, and I think we, we, we discussed some topics that were relatively quite interesting, actually, today. Now, one question that we always ask at the stage of the of the conversation is, if any one of our audience want to get in touch with you, to you personally or to discuss what they are doing, or if they want to engage with APS marketing and actually see how you, you, you could support them, what is the best way to get in touch with you beyond getting onto your website, which is www.apsmarketing.net? Yeah, thank you very much, Ray. I really appreciate that. People can come to me on the website. Of course, there's an engagement there. You can contact me. I write pretty regularly on LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn.com backslash ATS marketing. You can find me there. I'm active on Twitter. I tend to tweet about skiing, squash, hockey, dogs. Oh, yeah, technology too. I talk about technology. And a, and a bit of fishing as well. I think I think of, I may I have, do uh, fishing. Yeah, a couple of your catch. Quite impressive. Yeah, no, I definitely have some friends that are into fishing. They've taught me a lot about fishing off the West Coast or the left coast, as I call it, of the United States. Yeah. Well, Adam, it was great to have you on the show today. Thank you very much for your time. Ray, thank you so much for asking these questions. And, you know, I definitely encourage people, if they, if they do want to talk more about, you know, go to market and what the best content is and the gap in product marketing that exists in a lot of companies, that's why I started APS Marketing. It was definitely a problem. Talk about what problems are you solving. It was a problem that a lot of my startups and larger companies both face. And that's why I started this business now four years ago. Oh, that's great. Many thanks once again, Adam. Thank you, Rick.
Operatics has redefined the meaning of revenue generation for technology companies worldwide. While the traditional concepts of building and managing inside sales teams in-house has existed for many years, companies are struggling with a lack of focus, agility, and scale required in today's fast and complex world of enterprise technology sales. See how Operatics can help your company accelerate pipeline at operatics.net. You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Thank you.